0: social strategy podcast episode two five. 25 in welcome to the social strategy podcast where it's all about making the most of your business with smart tips on what's working now in social media online business and good old-fashioned networking and now your host who's also known as ross pr on twitter vernon ross Hey, this is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, and good old-fashioned networking. And guys, today, we've got a great guest. He's talking about some really, really valid stuff as far as business is concerned, what you should do, what you should not be doing, and things that you could be doing that are, quite honestly, wasting your time, and they're not high dollar value activities. It was a very interesting conversation. Made me think a lot about what I'm doing in my business. And so I've had to examine some things and rearrange a few things and think about, you know what, how am I going to do this differently? Um, one of my past guests, Toby Sogado, a couple episodes ago, uh, had a term called daily dollar activities. And I think it's a real estate term, but it's it is a very valid and important thing that you think about And is the activity that I'm doing right now. Is that going to push me any further? And if you're honest with yourself, it probably won't. This guest also says something about, you know, take the amount of hours that you do and multiply that by, you know, an hourly wage you'll basically you'll come up with your effective hourly wage and the amount of hours that you spend doing stuff and you'll probably be shocked and you know it was it was really insightful and i enjoyed it i think you guys are gonna enjoy it take a listen and i will see you guys on the back end hey guys this is vernon ross and welcome to the social strategy podcast and today I've got a really special guest. I've got uh, my actually my second guest from Australia. Pretty excited about this this conversation because you know I've been following this guy online for I don't know at least a year. And just a very interesting story. When you when you talk about James Schramko, you ha- you have to think about it in the in the sense of hey, this is a guy that I know that's down the street. He comes across as just this regular guy, but then when you start looking into his background, he speaks all over the place about marketing and different online topics. He's built a multi-million dollar business basically from nothing while he was working at a car dealership. It's a pretty amazing story, and I think you guys are going to really benefit from this knowledge. There's a saying that says, success leaves clues, and I think that James is going to drop a bunch of them for us today. So, James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. No, no worries, man. So, tell us a little bit about your your story, because I think it's interesting that you started off just kind of out of necessity, right?
1: Yes. Uh, well, I mean, with necessity, uh, that's, that's really a... Um, flexible term, but it wasn't like I was down and out. I was on a very high salary, but I did feel that having a salary was not very safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and, and at the same time, the US market was having its financial collapse. This was about eight years ago. And I was in the luxury segment in Mercedes-Benz feeling that a high salary in a, a market that's going to get a bit of heat is risky at the very best. So necessity, only from the point of view of wanting to have the pride of not losing my job and having to face my kids, tell them that, that uh, we're going to have to move and downgrade our living conditions, et cetera. I didn't want to go through that because it's pretty much what happened to me when I was about uh, 17 or 18. I mm-hmm. uh, literally had to move out of the family home uh, because my, my dad lost his job. And uh, I realized how dangerous a salary can be when you get... Uh, debt, which is very common in living in an expensive city. You're going to have to get a mortgage for your property. You can't buy it outright uh, when housing costs are approaching a million dollars for a family home. And uh, yeah, so I, I decided to make the move, but I wasn't going to move until I had a safety net and the safety net was for my business that I was working on at home to match my salary before I stepped away.
0: Right. Now, when you um, when you were in your job at Mercedes, before you got there, how did you actually get into car sales, and why, why did you choose car sales?
1: I went into car sales because I needed to make a lot more money than I was making as an administrator. I was earning about $35,000 a year. At that time, my wife was earning about $35,000. So, combined, that was $70,000, and Uh, When she fell pregnant and we were going to have a baby, I realized that I would have to support three people. At the minimum, I would need to double my income. And uh, the best way that I knew how to do that was selling because in sales, the better you perform, the more money you make. And I wasn't capped at a specific salary. And I went and literally begged for a sales job (laughs) uh, and convinced this guy at a BMW dealership to Hire me, even though his boss wasn't very happy about it. Uh, and i turned out it was good for him and good for me. I went well in the sales role, and I found that I was quite uh, good at it. And uh, I approached it differently to the most people selling cars. And, and I'm sure if you you wouldn't have to ask around, most people have a horror story about a car salesperson. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I was the opposite of the typical car salesperson. I would. Do things like follow people up and uh, and send them letters written by hand and find the right car for them instead of the one that made me the most commission. And I used direct marketing letters to human resource managers and uh, got myself into um, market segments that were just not being approached. And uh, you know, was proactive about it and never pushy, and that worked out well. And uh, and from there. Because I was going really well with the sales, it was just a matter of time until I was promoted into the management side and had my own sales team. And then I I went so well with that, that Mercedes-Benz started to move me around to other dealerships to help fix up um, what they considered to be underperforming dealerships. And in most cases, I had to start from scratch.
0: That is interesting. So what kind of salary were you making before you decided to leave and it had to match?
1: Uh, it was around three hundred thousand dollars, so it was um, just around that with uh, wage and superannuation or four hundred one, I think you call that uh, right in yeah, other 401K, markets. K, yep. <laughs> Plus, I had two company vehicles and a laptop and a phone. So oh, wow. you know, these were these were all things I would have to replace when I left the job.
0: Yeah, that can, that can be scary. So, what's the first thing that you did when you were um, you decided you? You wanted to, you knew you needed to do something else. Having a job is great, especially with a high salary. But like a lot of people that are stuck, you know, in Cubicle Nation and working for somebody else, and even if they do have a good salary, it's scary to start something, even if it is just part time. How did you, what, how did you make that choice? What is it? What's the thing that you did first? What was the business that you started?
1: Well, it is scary, but if you pursue your pain, you're going to find the rewards. That, that's where most people never go. They all cling to their little place of comfort. So instead of watching television, I started uh, working my laptop and trying to figure out how to build a website because I had seen through my family's uh, travel business that the internet had come along and changed the way that they were operating And I could see that in the car industry, buyers were coming in and knowing a lot more about the cars than they used to know from just reading magazines where they had embargoes on information. Now people could find out all this stuff online. So I suspected that I really should learn how to build a website because this internet was starting to get um, itself known, you know, in the commercial space. And I figured that it would be a great skill to have but also a great way for me to sell and to market but on a much broader Uh, scale than just selling one model of one uh, brand in one suburb of Sydney. Now I could pick anything and sell that to a global audience.
0: Now, is that how you started? Did you start off doing affiliate type stuff?
1: I started off doing all sorts of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was uh, blogging, but I didn't really know what about. And I was um, really trying to learn the technology. But yes, the, the affiliate stuff is what I was most successful with and that's uh, where I scale up my winning results and drop the other things for the most part and I, uh, you know, at the same time as learning about search engine optimization, I was learning how to build a website and then I combined the two and I developed uh, an affiliate offer that was promoting software to help build websites but teaching people how to get really good search results with those websites as a bonus and using the buy with bonus technique from the very beginning. I was able to add value for buyers, I was able to win affiliate sales from other affiliates and build up my database of literally paying customers. So I focused far more on building a database of people who purchased this software and my first thousand customers uh, had already generated me a hundred thousand dollars
0: oh wow that is crazy what was the piece of software that you launched was it it was something to build a website with
1: yeah there was this software called excite pro which back in 2005 uh, was at its peak or 2006 of course wordpress pretty much took over as the the standard and uh, at some point I was making ten thousand dollars a month promoting Excite Pro as in my commission, however, at the point where WordPress became the dominant force and the better choice, I stopped promoting it because I felt that it was not in the best interests of the customers and uh, And now I have a web development firm, and i don 't think people should even learn how to build a website. I think they should just pay a few hundred dollars and have one installed the same day so that's part of my maturing. And also the market maturing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that, you know, especially when you're on your own and it's just you and your office that you'll spend and, you know, hours upon hours trying to learn website development. And there's always something that you don't know. <laughs> and you'll and you'll spend all your time trying to do that instead of just hiring somebody to build exactly what it is that you need so you can focus on, you know, daily dollar activities. Things are actually going to bring in money.
1: Yeah. And in the beginning, you have to do everything yourself. So it's a bit of a gradual progression. When I was at work, I had 72 staff. And when I was at home, it was just me. <laughs> so it was this massive contrast of having to do almost nothing to having to do absolutely everything. And it took me a few years to get back into that situation again.
0: Right. So it wasn't an overnight type thing when you decided to leave um, leave your job to actually you know, do your internet thing full-time?
1: It wasn't. However, for my students now in my coaching program, they're finding success much faster than it than it took me because they follow my system and they have my support. So it's a lot to do with doing the right things. And when you start out, if you are doing it by yourself and you're... I mean, in Australia in, uh, in the, the mid-2000s, there, there wasn't really that much great information around... There was some information from the U.S., but it was still the early days, a little bit gold rushy, a little bit hypey and uh, tricky. And I think it's been a little more regulated and, and it's matured as a market. But there's much better information and much better tools available now for people starting out than when I started. For example, you can get software where you can start capturing email addresses today, uh, have it live and, and fully hosted and easy to build. That stuff didn't exist back then
0: right i remember that yeah it was very difficult back in the day to get email addresses and all that stuff i um when i was looking at your current company Superfast business you do everything from seo type work to like you just mentioned business coaching and you actually have um a theme that you've developed what's how did you go about developing the theme did you do any of the coding yourself or you just hire programmers to do it for you
1: well i have a team of web developers it's so because we have a website development service. But the, the short evolution is I used to build my own websites. Obviously, I learned how to build them with Excite Pro, and then I uh, went into WordPress and then I uh, decided I'd rather get help from that and I used a contracting firm in the United States for a while. But then they got a bit lazy and sloppy and expensive. They kept putting up their rates and, and, and being slow and slower with the work. And uh, I don't like having customer complaints. So the feedback I was getting uh, did not match my Mercedes-Benz expectations so I ended up handing that work to my team who in the meantime I'd hired and were building out my own websites. I started letting them work on customer sites and they're so good now. They've built over 3,000 WordPress sites that we we have customers who buy uh, 50 hours worth of development at a time like almost every week. Uh, it's a big part of our business and one that I think we'll be doing for a while. And the thing is we've spent a lot of time and effort developing my own website at Superfast Business. We've spent time making it mobile responsive, running heat map tracking to figure out the best navigation, how to improve our opt-in conversions, how to have people buy our products using the right um, flow. We've hired conversion experts to rip it apart and rebuild it and I've studied other people's courses to find out what they think best practice is and what we've ended up is what I think is a really great best practice starting point for most people and I found that so many people were copying my website or even hiring our designers and developers and saying, can you make it like super fast business? (laughs) In the end I thought, well, gosh, I should just let people buy the theme. And then we'll install it and we'll make sure they're getting a proper version of it and something that's working for them. And we even allow them to change the colours and make it look just like their own site and match their logos and their colours so that, you know, if they're in the female market or in the sports market, they can make it racier or they can make it softer than the fairly plain version that I have. And it's been a runaway success. So we've added another theme called the Expert Authority theme. And I can see us continually adding
0: uh,
1: special themes that have been developed in-house around a specific purpose.
0: Right. Now, do you sell your themes outside of your website on places like ThemeForest and stuff like that?
1: We don't currently. I think we've been uh, invited to submit them to other marketplaces. But, uh, you know, the true essence of Own the Racecourse is that you control every aspect of your business that's practical And I could see us, for the most part, selling it from our own website where we can control the experience, where we can control the purchasing uh, flow and uh, own the, the customer on our database. I think that's more important for us is to deliver the perfect experience.
0: Right. I'm sure you're at the point now where you actually don't even or do you have to go out and pitch business or does it pretty much just all come to you?
1: It uh, pretty much comes to us, we, we don't have affiliates pimping for us, we don't do big launches to hype up the market, uh, we don't have joint ventures, we just, we're just trying to make good stuff and uh, of course we talk about things on our website that people are interested in and that they come back for and our email list, our house list is still continuously growing. And uh, having great open rates and click-throughs. and uh, I think I'd, I'd like to think that people are better off for uh, being a part of that than not, so they stick around.
0: Right? Are you uh, are you against the whole the launch sequence type videos that are are really popular now and doing it that way?
1: I'm not against it. I don't think it's right for me. My philosophy is a lifetime customer. I think as a consumer, I don't like that. Launch style. I think it's. I mean, I've seen so many that I'm a bit over it. I also f- feel slightly insulted when people won't allow me to to control the video controls or to rewind or to stop it mm-hmm. and and um, go back to a part if I miss something. Uh, I don't like that. I have to wait days for this big hype fest to roll on. So <laughs> I don't. I don't like it as a consumer. Right. I think. Maybe it works for some people, and they need it, and it's a great way to build up a database. However, it's certainly not a business model that's sustainable, or um, you know, it shouldn't be the foundation. It should be an add-on or just a promotion aspect of an already existing business. It shouldn't be the business. Otherwise, you're going to find that that list gets burnt out, that the the customers fatigue from that marketer. And in a few years, that person's going to be scrambling for the next business model.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's the first time I've actually heard anybody express that about that whole launch sequence because it's the most popular thing going right now between that and then taking that traffic and sending them to an additional webinar. I mean, that's pretty much what everybody's doing. And it's like, eh, it's okay. I'm not crazy. Like you just said, I'm not crazy about waiting for the videos. I'm not crazy about the fact that I can't. You can stop it, but you can't go back and listen to something that you just missed. And if they're adding value, why you know, take away the controls for you to really get the value out of what it is that they're adding?
1: I would much prefer to have a recurring wall of income coming in every single month, to have a, um, a nice working week in terms of hours that I need to commit to the business, and to have an asset that's growing like a snowball rolling down a mountain. Uh, without any pressure or force. People right. remember if they're forced and manipulated, and at some point they will possibly buck up about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, the, what I what I think is interesting about your website, and one of the reasons that I follow it, is you offer products and services that are basically staples of what people need, and it's not the hype hey, this is the next hot thing, and you need to do this because this is this secret method, or it's this ninja tactic, or it's that, you know. Smoke and mirrors it's hey, you need SEO here's SEO. we can help you get traffic to your site you know you need a business coach, you just have a general question, submit your question and then you can tailor stuff to them and I actually I really like that approach and I think it probably is one of the reasons that you're as successful as you are at it.
1: Well, the fact is that all of these solutions have been developed for customers at their own request. it's really just been a natural evolution. If someone buys a website, they probably want content, they may want help promoting it and they most likely need help figuring out how to extract the most profit from their website and in the form of some kind of education. So I have this philosophy called the chocolate wheel and it really is something I learned from the dealership where they have a service department, sales department, finance department Um, People will come in at one part of the business and then experience the other parts of the business because they need all of that. They buy a car but they want to finance it. Or they buy a car and then they need to service it. Uh, Or they buy a car and they want to fit some carpet mats to the the car or a tow bar so they want to buy some parts. So by having all the related offerings that someone's going to buy anyway, uh, as long as it's within your scope of being able to deliver it at a, a high level, go for it.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense, and I've not heard it. The chocolate wheel—that's kind of nice. I've not heard that before. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, you probably will find lots of things that I'm doing that are contrarian to what everyone else thinks you're supposed to be doing.
0: Right. Well, and w- which is one of the reasons I follow you, because it's like, well, you know what? This—that's a different approach. And I've heard—you know—I've heard you speak, so I've heard YouTube videos and stuff like that, where you talk about sales, and um, you know, as You've experienced a lot of people shy away from sales, but you really don't. As you know, as experienced in your career, you actually went towards sales because you knew that you could make the most money doing it.
1: Yeah, there was a microsecond when I started that I was a little bit concerned that I was a car salesperson, but then I figured out a better way to to think about it. And the fact is, people are going to buy cars, I buy cars, and Someone's going to be there to sell the car, it might as well be someone good and the person who's doing a good job of it is going to get great rewards for it and uh, I actually felt that it was uh, somewhat a meritocracy where the the better job you did, the more awards you would get and that's kind of the attraction for me around Google rankings and seo in the beginning was that if you do a good job you get a good rank you could you could type it in and they would show you your rank and uh, i'm probably driven by competitive forces uh, and a desire to to get some feedback of success it's good to build your self-esteem and you need confidence when you're an entrepreneur
0: right when you um When you advise someone, say, you know, and of course you you do this because you do business coaching, they're brand new or they're stuck in a job and they want to do something, but they don't know exactly what it is. They know it's something on the internet or they have, well, they know it's something on the internet. They don't know what they want to do. How do you guide that person towards picking the thing that they want to do?
1: Well, I I try and do an inventory of whatever skills they might already have that would lead them to one model or another. Uh, For example, if they're very good at communication and they're quite outgoing and they don't mind meeting strangers, and if they like trading or haggling, then they might like uh, a, a a business model that revolves around selling services where they run somewhat of an agency They deal with business owners, they sell solutions and then they have those solutions fulfilled by a vendor like me. If they are reserved and shy and they don't want to be publicly known and they don't want to build up a profile, then they might lean more towards an affiliate model. And that's a great model to do if you have a job because you can do it in your own time. You don't have to be outed publicly and you can build it up over the long run. It's usually going to take a little longer. Uh, assuming that you're not going to get involved in launch spiking or um, affiliate pouncing. If you go for a longer affiliate model, it can be built up to the point where you could quit your job from it. And, if, and certainly if your wage is substantially lower than what mine was, it shouldn't take you as long till you can quit your job as it took me. It took me about two and a half years.
0: That's still not bad. I mean, that's pretty good.
1: I mean, to me, it, it seemed like a very long time in the beginning. Yeah, I, I <laughs> and I was making $150,000 two weeks before I quit my job and then I was making 300000 annualized at the time that I quit my job. I literally doubled it in one move, just adding a new business model to the mix. So what will happen at some point is someone's probably going to stack a few business models together. Of mm-hmm. course, there's other ones like product creation if people like to – Create and compile and and uh, document things, then creating your own products is a great way to go about it and and I think it's also one of the best business models going is being an information product creator because it still can be done in your own time and you can you can uh, get the satisfaction of making things and then there's of course things like software, which is kind of a difficult business model and one that I haven't really cracked. However, uh, I've got students who are doing spectacularly well with it, and it's, it's an anomaly in that you can have a very lean infrastructure once it's going. It's just a matter of trying a few times until you get the one that works for you.
0: Right. Now, you know, I run into people that are new to Internet marketing, and one of the first things I get questions about, and it's something that you mentioned, is being an affiliate or, you know, jumping into an affiliate program. Or on an affiliate network, did you take the same approach with your um, affiliate sales as you did with service and basically sales at Mercedes?
1: Well, it's exactly the same. It's just the sale. The sale is happening. It's just that um, you know there's so many parallels. It wasn't my product. I wasn't creating the product. Uh, so I was really just being an ambassador for finding people that had a problem that I could solve with that solution and then getting a commission for it. It was almost exactly the same.
0: Right. How did you, um, how did you pick the product that you were going to sell?
1: It's something that I used myself. So I started with my own problem that I solved and figured there'd be other people of the same problem that, that would also like the same solution.
0: Right. Did you build like, a, I guess, an authority type website? to promote it?
1: (laughs) No, I built a demonstration website so that I could learn the software where I tried all the different fonts and the different modules and uh, you know, it was really just a a showcase of what the software can make and and what different features it has.
0: That's interesting. So did you sell that online or did you actually go into businesses and go, hey, this is a website I think that you want to have this for your business and I can build it for you or I can sell it to you and then help you customize it?
1: At first it was um, assisted sales so I'd talk to someone over the phone like a friend and have them navigate to my site and then go and buy it. (laughs) Uh, And then from there it was uh, actually selling things online. I built a sales site to sell the software after my demo site. And on the sales side I started offering a bonus and that was really the start of something magical. And I developed the bonus from its very raw uh, origin of a, it, was, it was one page or two pages in Word after I'd converted it from a few lines in Excel up to 19 pages and then then over 100 pages and then a couple of hundred pages by the end of this illustrated guide, the, the ultimate cheat sheet that you would need to use this software. And that was my weapon that I took out into the marketplace and helped me convert people through my affiliate link, when they had other affiliates to choose from. And I occupied uh, premium positions in the search results, and uh, I learned every single scrap of internet marketing on that site from building it to writing the sales copy to designing the graphics to the every traffic technique known to man <laughs> from paper click to submitting software. You know, I, I really learned so much about. Everything autoresponders, customer segmentation, setting up the membership, running a webinar, all of these things.
0: Wow, that's
1: a lot. It is a lot I've been running webinars for seven or eight years, and now I hear it's the latest greatest thing you must do
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's right. everybody's doing a webinar now <laughs> that's funny what's your what's your uh, your platform of choice
1: for what? For,
0: for webinars?
1: Still go to Webinar. I think it's the top quality solution. It's the enterprise level platform that's super robust, and we use it every single day in my business. And I've been using it for that long. I'm still on a grandfathered rate. It's around a thousand dollars a year, and oh my it's God. one of the the best investments I've ever made.
0: That's insane because I know that can that can happen in a month. <laughs> we, we go to Webinar depending on what you're doing.
1: Yeah, if you join now, I think it's substantially more than when I joined. But uh, you know, that's that's the uh, benefit of getting in early on some of these things.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, I think it's um it's interesting when you talk about the your approach to you know how you do stuff, and one of the things that that you do that I don't know gets a lot of attention is that you speak quite a bit at uh, conferences and at, um, at at events, right?
1: Yeah. If there's a if there's a good platform for me to share a message. If it's the right crowd, then I'll usually go and do that. And I've traveled to all sorts of places. I like to share the ideas. Uh, it certainly, it brings in business, which is good too. Um, usually, I'm speaking at events where you don't pitch. I don't like the seedy pitch event type of events. Right. Uh, I, I did do some of those in the beginning, but i was very disincentivized by the type of speakers at those events and the, uh, in some cases, hopeless audiences. Just like they, they were believing in miracles and, and stuff. And I saw them being taken advantage of, and I found it distressing to watch them coming in their walker frame or their wheelchairs, spending six or $10,000 on someone's package that wasn't going to help them like on a share trading strategy that's so risky even the banks don't use it but it's fine for a pensioner to spend their credit that, you know, funds they don't even have. Uh, I just didn't like the idea that promoters were were being a part of that, that speakers would sell to gullible people like that and I felt that that's not the place for me. So if I do present somewhere, it's because it's the right environment, uh, It's it's usually a top quality event and i do get asked by some of the biggest events in our industry to to put forward some ideas and i happily share them um, you know without a, uh, making an offer or anything i i just want people to get the concepts that i'm talking about and to um, come along to my website and buy whatever is there because whatever's there's good
0: yeah it's um that is a, a- It's a very admirable approach to it because I've I've run into quite a few speakers as I'm getting more and more into um, doing speaking engagements that they don't care particularly what what type of event they speak at as long as they can pitch their product or try to sell it in the back of the room, which, you know, I'm not I'm not big on the whole back of the room sales. Well, you know, just go back there and drop your credit card and 10 grand and you can too you know,
1: well, that's that's it. Business model, and I'm sure it's valid. And it's a bit old now because the promoter model is somewhat failing in in some markets because it's very expensive. I mean, the people in the room are paying for that. Half the sale goes to the promoter, and half goes to the speaker. So it's it, it's at least inflated than what it would be outside of that environment. Uh, and secondly, I'll give you a hot tip: if someone's claiming to be an online expert but they speak 200 times a year, then they are a speaker, not a, an online expert. If they were an online expert, they would only be speaking very occasionally and only, only for the right reasons, not because it's their primary income method.
0: Right. know, yeah, that's, a, that's a good observation and pretty funny. Are you, uh, are you coming to New Media Expo this coming up year or in 2015?
1: I hadn't planned to, no.
0: Get right into that, but you, I'm sure you're probably too busy.
1: Well, it's actually the opposite. It's it's interesting. A lot of people say, I must be busy, you know, they know I'm busy. But I I say I'm probably less busy than most people that I'm talking to uh, and that's by design. So it's an interesting assumption but just because you have a lot of things for sale or you have a, a larger business doesn't mean you're necessarily busy. And I know a few people who have got things dialed in just right. I think people are far busier in the very early stages of their business before they figure a lot of stuff out.
0: Very, very true. I mean, I've been at it for a while, but I'm still pretty busy. I haven't gotten to that point where I can just kind of sit back and let things run. How do you? Uh, how do you get to that point?
1: Well, just stop doing things. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, no, it's quite, I'm quite serious. You, you probably edit your own podcasts and and uh, play around with things that anyone else with a high level of skill could do quickly and, and effectively for you and then you could do something else, right?
0: Oh, Exactly.
1: Yeah, so you just have to make a list of everything that you're doing and then score it as to uh, which things can only you do. That's one category uh, and siphon those off. And of those things, should you still do them or could you do something else? And then, uh, then the other list is um, stuff that you're doing that you're not even that good at you definitely shouldn't do those things. That could be bookkeeping or um, filing and then there's stuff that uh, you're doing that you're okay at but you're not the world's best at and and more than likely you should be getting someone else to do all of those things. That would be stuff like podcast editing, website developments, article writing or transcriptions. Probably you don't have to do most of the things you're doing uh, but you're doing them because it makes you comfortable to be busy or you feel that you're saving money. Uh, uh, and if you do that, it's a vicious cycle because you'll really never step away from it. At some point, you have to say, you know what, I'm going to claim a higher dollar value per hour for my activities and anything below that value, I'm going to have someone else do because I'm still ahead. And then you've got to go and do more high dollar value activities, which could be delivering product, it could be selling product, uh, creating products. There the, are the three things that will be a high value activity.
0: Wow. That was interesting. Um, that <laughs> That's something to take in because, you know, it's it's really easy, like you said, to just get involved in being busy. And, you know, you feel like you're making progress because you're so busy doing all of the things that, you know, you just listed that, you know, quite honestly, I could probably funnel off to somebody else and spend more time on things that are actually going to make me money.
1: Yeah, and we all do it. I mean, I spent God knows how many uh, hours adjusting the font on my website or just going for that look. But the reality is I wasn't making offers and I wasn't driving traffic so it didn't matter what the font looked like, I wasn't going to sell anymore because the font changed. It was a wasted activity but it made me feel like I was doing something. But if we're really honest, uh, there's a very simple calculation you can make, it might be worth doing this or, or for your listener and that is to figure out your monthly profit. So that's all the, all the money that comes in, less all the costs, not including your wage and then divide it by the number of hours you work. That's your effective hourly rate and I think for some people it will scare the crap out of them. Uh, it will be a very, very low number in which case you don't really have a, a business uh, that's very leveraged. You may be better off to go and get a job at McDonald's and um, quit the whole entrepreneur thing unless you make change and that's the key there is if you want to get a higher effective rate, you have to bring in more profit and work less hours or bring in more profit for the same hours. Uh, But the the reality is you only have a couple of hundred hours a month. If you're an absolute workaholic and you worked a hundred hours a week, which, which would mean that you're virtually not sleeping or doing anything else, then you would still only have 400 hours a month. For most people, they're going to be, you know, most entrepreneurs are putting in two to 300 hours a month. So if you, if you want an effective hourly rate, you're going to have to bring in a fairly sizable income to get even $100 an hour. And $100 an hour is not really that high. Most of the people I'm working with should be aiming for $1,000 an hour as an effective rate.
0: Wow. Now, what, what's, a, what's an activity that you would tell someone to do that can bring them in $1,000 an hour?
1: Well, the, the thing that's going to get them the maximum impact, the, the highest leveraged activity that only they can do. So in my case, I'm talking to you uh, and more people will discover me and my information. So I would say that's a marketing activity. It's a, um, it's a way to grow my business. If I spend one hour with you and it's recorded and leveraged, then thousands of people can listen to it. So that's, that's going to be an effective... Uh, activity, but if I spent one hour rearranging the shoes on my shoe rack, then that's not going to change my sales. That's just a—it's um, just something I would do for pleasure. But I, I couldn't count that as a work hour, for example. Yeah, that... and not that I do that. I just use that as an example. <laughs> I don't want people to think that I'm too strange or anything. Like I like I surf every day, for example, and I don't—I don't consider that a work activity. That's a pleasure activity. Um, so by working effectively when I do work, then I can play effectively when I play.
0: Wow. That is a, um, I think that's a good note to end it on. And that's, that's something you gave us a lot to think about. I mean, because honestly, most people are not doing that. I know that I've, I've not done that in my business is actually looked at, you know, what's my most effective hourly type rate and what, what do I want it to be? You know, I hadn't really looked at that. I've looked at, you know, income and projections and stuff like that, but not broken down the different tasks that I do and how I want them to be distributed and what can I stop doing? And I, like you said, I think we all fall into that trap, but that is, uh, that's a great note to end on and a lot to, for us to think about. Wow. Yeah.
1: I hope you have, have fun with that activity. It's very <laughs> simple. Just write down how much profit you made last month and how many hours you worked. Uh, you can install rescue time. It'll send you a weekly update. It's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, And work out your effective hourly rate and now you have a benchmark and see if you can improve it next month. And then write down every activity you're doing and see what you can get rid of and uh, see which ones you should focus on more. Some things will make you more profit than others. So if I were to do one podcast for someone else per day, then after a week I would have had, um, let's say, five extra podcasts out there growing my business instead of five hours of bookkeeping or five hours of editing a podcast that I've already listened to because I was there the first time, you know.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're you're convincing me more and more to lean towards on un- letting somebody else edit my podcast. <laughs> 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 one of one of my best friends is a podcaster, and she's like, "Dude, you got to stop editing your podcast." I'm like, uh, I'm a control freak. I don't want to let it go." But I think I'm I think I'm going to have to give it serious thought now.
1: Well most of your listeners won't be able to tell the difference whether you edited it or someone else
0: yeah you're absolutely right
1: <laughs> if you think about it logically um, you know letting go of my podcast editing was a great relief because I have five podcasts and it was uh, and I'm not even that good an editor if, if I'm honest about it uh, I'm not a technically I'm not an audio file or trained on how to use audacity and all, all that stuff Um so there's no reason why I should be editing my podcast. Not, not a single reason. So I don't.
0: Right. No, and you're, my you're right.
1: podcast editor is significantly better than I was at doing that. So I've actually done myself a huge favor by letting go of something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the funny thing, you mentioned Rescue Time. I started using Rescue Time. Uh, Jamie Tardy told me about it. <laughs> and I started using it. And I realized exactly how much time I was wasting doing what I thought was research that was really just web browsing but because mm-hmm. i was busy and i'm like oh wow so i've i've gotten down to uh or up to a a mostly 70% productive time when i'm on my laptop and when i'm not working i try to put it away
1: yeah that's the secret cuz you'll get sick of the computer at some point it it happens to everyone
0: <laughs> that is that's that's funny so you you got me doing some reflection about my podcast editing now
1: that's my that's my role uh, if if i cause someone to think and, and apologies if i've caused a little bit of friction maybe maybe i've upset someone by being so raw however i think the the progress starts when you're prepared to face the truth and then if you feel if you feel angry or or frustrated with me for drawing this to your attention then turn that energy into change and you'll end up better off maybe come back to the podcast and comment on what you did i'm always interested in feedback
0: yeah you know i don't think you upset anybody the the truth is always hard to hear and you know i'd rather hear from somebody that's successful and where i want to be than from somebody that you know is not and just throwing advice out there because it's free yeah (laughs) (laughs) well james hey man i really did appreciate you coming on the podcast spending some time with us and uh, I'll, i'll catch you later
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, no worries. Okay, guys, it sounds like we have a challenge. What you need to do is take the amount of profit that you had last month and multiply that by the amount of hours that you actually spent working on those things. If you don't have the uh, the application rescue time, you guys should go out and download it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that task a little bit easier. It's going to show you everything that you do and how you do it and how much time you actually spend on it. But do that. Go through that exercise because it is mind-blowing when you really look at how much time you spent doing things and how those things have made absolutely no difference to your business. So, yes, I am considering not editing my podcast and letting someone else do it. They're still going to have to be edited, and I'm meticulous about audio I think, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm a pretty good audio editor, but it's something that I don't need to be spending my time doing. Exactly as James said. Now, you know, I, you have to go back and listen to an hour's worth of interview that you've already listened to because you were there to begin with. It's pretty funny. And, yeah, it's probably something I don't need to be doing. What in your business could you give up that's going to actually help you? Make more money. It's it's an insane thing when you think about the fact that we never really think about that, and we get so wrapped up and busy in the things that we're doing. Awesome insight from James. You can find him at superfastbusiness.com. That is superfastbusiness.com. He's got a really quality theme out there. You guys should check it out. I've looked at it. I recommend it. It's actually used on his site, and it is pretty solid. It's a sweet theme. So definitely go check out his products, his coaching. He's got a lot of stuff going on there. Some really good free stuff too. So get on his mailing list. He's not spammy and stuff like that. Like you pretty much heard. I mean, he's a, it's got a definitely a different approach to how he does business, and it has pretty much paid off. I would say if you take a good look at his business, he's got a multi-million dollar business at this point that he basically built from nothing, from selling affiliate product to moving further in business as he found what his customers needed. Awesome story. Really did enjoy talking to James. So James, thanks a lot for coming on, on the podcast and spending some time with us. So moving on to iTunes. Guys, loving the reviews, but we need more. If you have not left a review, please go out to iTunes and leave us another review. Or I'm sorry, leave your first review. Do the same thing on Stitcher. It helps the show tremendously because the more reviews you have, the more ratings you have, the better placement you get, the more people get to hear the show. And the more people get to hear these awesome guests and this wonderful insight that we get into successful people doing the things that you want to get to and the places that you want to be in business. And they're just further down the timeline than we are. So... Just look at it as, hey, I want to get to that place in the timeline. They're not any better than you. You're not any better than them. But you do need to look at where they are on the timeline. And because they've already traveled that path, they can show you the way. Thank you, Michael O'Neill, for the whole further along on the timeline reference. <laughs> Michael O'Neill from the uh, Solopreneur Hour. That's one of his sayings is somebody's just further down on the timeline. But it is it is so valid. And um, it's it's just a very good point. It's a really good way to look at progress when you pattern yourself after other people or you look at other people's success and you want to get to that point. If you just think about it from the perspective is they were where you are right now and they're just further down the timeline and they can help you get there. So James is one of those guys that can help you get there. His podcast is one I definitely recommend you listen to. Check it out, superfastbusiness.com. Guys, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. And before I go, make sure to check out Duda Dota Mobile, DudaMobile.com. You got until July 31st to take advantage of the promo codes I have, Ross15 to save $15 and Ross20 to save $20 on an annual subscription with Duda Mobile. If you don't have a mobile responsive, mobile ready website and you don't feel like switching themes, you should check out Duda Mobile. It's, only, it's under 10 bucks a month to convert your site over to mobile, and it's awesome. And you can add features without actually having to do anything to your site. And if you change information on your site, it updates automatically in the Duda mobile mobile website. It's it's crazy. Nice service. Love it. I've used it. I've recommended it to clients. You guys should check it out. All right, guys, we've got to go ahead and wrap it up. I do appreciate you tuning into the podcast, and I will see you in the next episode. They need to be hurt Darling, you're so good, but it's too late My hands will touch your